Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome, everyone. My name is Jack Rico, and you're listening to Episode 3 of Highly Relevant with Jack Rico. This is the podcast where I interview the people and discuss the moments that are shaping our American and Latino pop culture. In this episode, enough with reggaeton. I get together with Angie Romero, a good friend who I highly respect in the Latin music industry. We tackle why the best Spanish-language music right now is not getting any radio airplay. She and I also share with you our favorite artists and Spotify playlists you should really be listening to. I also had a chance to catch up with the director of the new horror film Don't Breathe, Uruguayan Fede Alvarez, and why it's so difficult to do an original horror film and why he declined to direct Marvel's Doctor Strange. Was he crazy? His answer will blow your mind. And I finally get to chat with my brother from another mother, Jim Shearer, a man of many talents and former VH1 and MTV2 VJ, to discuss whether anyone still gives two hoots about MTV's VMAs. Sit back and just listen. Angie Romero is the senior editor of U.S. Latin content programming at Spotify. She was a former deputy editor at Latina Magazine, editor-in-chief of Variety Latino, and has written for Billboard, Rolling Stone, and The Washington Post. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Angie. Uh, Thank you so much, Jack. I'm so excited to be on your new podcast, and I just I want to say thank you because we really needed to have this space to have these really interesting conversations that we're already having. But now, you know, it's a time to share it with the world. So there was really a need for this, and I'm glad that you're the one to do it. Well, thank you so much, and I'm very glad that you're on the podcast because I really want to get your insight in, on a few things about the state of uh, Latin music in our country right now. I feel like there's a lot of shifts going on. Uh, it's not the same type of sound that we probably heard five to even ten years ago. But before we get into the, all this nice, you know, nitty-gritty stuff on Latin music, let's talk a little bit about you. How did you get started in journalism? Well, it's funny because when I started my career as an entertainment journalist, this was probably like 2003. So it was like right after the Latin explosion of the turn of the century, And right before the reggaeton explosion with, like, Daddy Yankee's Gasolina and all that. So I was at Vibe magazine, and I guess because I was one of the few Latinos on staff, they were like, well, you're Latino, (laughs) you must like reggaeton, so you're going to be the resident reggaeton queen. And that was just really funny because I didn't initially love the genre, but because I've been reporting on it for so long and seeing it sort of be really hot, and then fade away, and now it's come back with a fury, which we're going to talk about in a minute. 
But so it's just really interesting. I guess I have a soft spot in my heart for reggaeton and all that because I've been I've witnessed its journey in the culture. Right. Um, so, yeah. So. You know, I'm not a fan of reggaeton. I'm just going to say that straight up off the bat. You know, reggaeton to me has always been an acquired taste. I do remember when Gasolina and Daddy Yankee made it all the way to Z100. It crossed over along with mm-hmm. Don Omar. So I remember that time and I was very proud that the Hispanic culture had something so uh, theirs. But why is reggaeton the new pop? Because I've always associated pop with Luis Fonsi, Reg, Paulina Rubio. Why is it the new pop? I think... What you'll find with Latin urban music is that it's the easiest to mix with any other genre. So you can have these these blends like of bachata reggaeton or vallenato reggaeton, which is really hot right now because Colombia has become sort of the new hotbed of reggaeton, um, EDM with reggaeton. It's such a, a malleable type of sound. You can really mix it with anything else and... And that has allowed it to become a lot more mainstream, as has the fact that, like, the lyrics themselves, quite different from what we would hear back in the day. The kind of reggaeton that we're hearing today has a lot more emphasis on melody. Uh, the lyrics are a lot softer. These reggaetoneros are singing to women. They're singing about love, or in some cases, desamor. Um, right, like Chino y Nacho. Joey Montana. Exactly. And those particular guys that you just named had been doing that from the beginning, but that wasn't like the most popular breed of reggaeton. Right, just caught on. Today, exactly. Today, Everybody in reggaeton is, is is singing that romantic kind of reggaeton, if you will. And so that's why you hear, like, grandmothers or kids, everybody singing along to this song because, to these songs, because they're no longer, like, this, you know, more raw de la calle sound. So in, in some ways it's evolved a lot, I think. And the fact that now artists like Nicky Jam and Maluma, they're coming out of Colombia with this, much more I would say like this tropical blend it's like tropical with pop it's reggaeton it's this cool mixture that's really interesting because it speaks to the globalization of this sound too it's no longer like confined to Puerto Rico or like the underground it's become super global so that's that's really interesting I think that's why you're seeing that it's the new pop why is it that reggaeton is the only music genre that they love the most I mean if you look at the top three songs at the Billboard Latinos right now, it's Enrique Iglesias featuring Wisin with Duele el Corazón, mm-hmm. Nicky Jam hasta el amanecer, uh, and then you got Maluma with El Perdedor, J Balvin with Bobo, et cetera, et cetera. It's mm-hmm. all reggaeton driven, but what happened to other bands like the ones I like, you know, that don't receive any radio play like Manu Manso? Y este es el momento para hacerlo lento y dejar por fin lo demás. Monsieur Periné. Bomba Estéreo. Belanova, Jesse Joy. These are bands that I would actually say it's like the golden era of this great pop folk rock sound that radio just does not want to embrace. 
Right. Well, what's interesting about radio is that that was always the case. It's, it was hard at any point in time to go to radio and get a true representation of all the great music that was out there. That, I don't think that's ever been the case. The great thing about today, the era that we're living in and that these kids are growing up in, is that is the democratization of music, if you will. Like, the, the democratization of the globalization of music. You have any kind of music to suit your life, every mood, every moment, customizable at your fingertips because of the availability of streaming services and the era that we live in. So you no longer have to depend on radio to be that authority to tell you this is good and this is bad. You can decide for yourself and you can customize it to suit your life. And I think really that that is the best thing that could have ever happened. But so to answer your question, there is so much great Latin music out there that is not being played on the radio. That's true. But it's getting, it's getting played elsewhere, you know. And nowadays, those kinds of artists like Monsieur Perine or like, you know, this girl out of, she's Colombian. Her name is Paula. And she makes the most beautiful pop ballads, like those full, beautiful pop ballads that are just missing, you know, from radio today. Let me ask you something, Angie. Uh, as senior editor of U.S. Latin content programming at Spotify, what exactly is your responsibility? Is it to find new music that you think people will like or just to give them what they already want? That's, yeah, and that's interesting that you put it that way because so maybe there's music out there that I don't particularly love, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't program it. It is my duty. It is my responsibility to give the people what they want but also help them discover new and interesting music and artists and songs that can, you know, again, I keep going to this idea of soundtracking your life because, you know, to me that I can't live without music from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, you know, and any big or small moments in my life, music plays a key role. And so I'm not alone in that. So the responsibility to give people options to, to, to be the soundtrack of their lives is huge. And that, you know, that means even if I don't like something in particular, that doesn't matter. There's an audience for everything. Before we get into some of the artists that you thoroughly like and maybe that speak to your musical tastes, uh, can you tell our us, uh, the audience, maybe some playlists that you've done that we should look for in Spotify? Definitely. So I have one that's, that's kind of like a little passion project, but I see that people have really connected to it. And it's called Café con Leche. Um, oh, I love the name already. Think, yeah, thank you. I think something about the name. But beyond the name, like when I created it, um, and, and this is like less than six months old, but it's really grown a lot and it has a high level of engagement. Café con Leche is like about a feeling. It's about kind of just... Uh, warming up your heart and like making you feel good and positive and is just something about it. It's a it's a vibe. Is it true that I heard what that Rake that Rake is singing in English now? Yes, that is true. They in fact they were in the office last Friday and we had such a blast with them because they're they've been around for a long time. They're known for doing, you know, what they do, these great ballads and they have a core audience. But now they're singing in English, and these guys are super, like, you know, bilingual, bicultural, so it's, it's very natural. It's not forced as it can be in certain cases, but it's super cool. I really, they have a song called Spanglish. No one can quite break the silence like you can. 
which is doing really well on Spotify right now. So check him out. Before we leave, I have a question. It probably has nothing to do with reggaeton, obviously, uh, from what I'm about to tell you. But it's just something that I just wanted to talk to you about. It's about Luis Miguel. What happened to this guy? <laughs> I mean, seriously, why has he been so, number one, so resistant to changing his sound? There's been no evolution whatsoever. All his albums sound like they could be from 1988. He's never wanted to collaborate with anyone except Frank Sinatra, and that was, like, posthumously. Uh, right. I still think his best album after Romances, uh, believe it or not, is the Christmas album he did, Navidades con uh, Luis Miguel. By far, yeah. it's, to me, the best Spanish Christmas album ever made. Uh, it's a very traditional big band, but why does this guy not want to evolve? I think when you're Luis Miguel... You don't have to, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, he's, he's a bit of a diva from what I've heard. I don't know him personally, but like, and he's a difficult man to, to collaborate is what I've heard with, you know, but he's one of those few old school dudes that's left very Sinatra like, you know what I mean? Those guys didn't adapt to the world. The world adapted to them. And, you know, for better or for worse, I think those kinds of talents, they're few and far between these days. Um, and they came with big personalities, and a lot of times they're set in their ways. But they have a fan base that'll never go away, and I think people will still pay to go see them in concert. And if he were to release a new album today, it would—I I hope that he does. I haven't heard of anything, but man, if he does, I know that there's an audience for it, and he's—he's he's timeless. You can reach Angie on Twitter at Angie J Romero. Plus, listen to her favorite Latin Spotify playlist at ShowbizCafe.com. It's time for Jacked In. Let's begin with film news. Spanish director Jaume Collet Serra just snapped Patrick Wilson to join Liam Neeson in a new action thriller. Michael Peña will star in a new Sony horror thriller called The Bringing. Brazilian actress Sonia Braga will play Julia Roberts' mother in the film Wonder. And Ben Affleck will direct the remake of Witness for the Prosecution from Agatha Christie. Switching over to TV, Amazon is planning to do the Departed series, but instead of Boston being the backdrop, it'll be Chicago. In other TV news, Michael Strahan has sold ABC his first scripted sports drama. TV Land's The Jim Gaffigan Show will no longer continue after this season. And Netflix's new comedy Friends from College will star Keegan-Michael Key, Fred Savage, and Kobe Smulders. Production begins this fall in New York. Over to music, it's the album everyone was waiting for for the last four years. Frank Ocean released two albums this week, the visual album Endless and Blonde, exclusively on Apple Music, with collaborations from Beyonce, Kanye West, Andre 3000, and Tyler, the creator. Metallica released a new single called Hardwire. Ricky Martin and Maluma shot a music video in Miami for the track Vente Pacá, directed by Jesse Torero. And can you believe that Demi Lovato and Ariana Grande were sued for copyright infringement in the same week? Can't anyone compose an original song anymore? In tech news, not that we needed another one, but the Wall Street Journal reported that Pandora will become a full-out music streaming service challenging Spotify, Apple Music, and Tidal. It could be available as soon as next month. Now, here's the question. Would you consider it? And I am not thrown away. And we'll finish off with Broadway and more Hamilton news. The PBS documentary version of Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton will soon be making its world premiere at this year's New York Film Festival. If you can't catch it at the festival, it'll debut on PBS October 21st. Up next... 
I talked to director Fede Alvarez on why it's so hard to make an original horror film. Very difficult. <laughs> that's that's why it, 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 I took my time and uh, and it, and, it, and it, you know it's been three years since Evil Dead came out and uh, but I always rather give you an original movie or something better later that. That's something mediocre soon. Alvarez, born in Uruguay, has one of the best horror films of the summer so far in Don't Breathe. That's her guy. Wait, is he blind? We messed up to rob a blind guy, isn't it? Just because he's blind don't mean he's insane, bro. But Hollywood believes Alvarez can do other genres such as superhero films. A story broke out this week that Fevit turned down Marvel's offer to helm Doctor Strange. When I asked him if he was mad for declining, he gave me one of the best answers I've ever heard on the subject of creative freedom. If I do good movies, I'll be empowered by Hollywood to, you know, continue doing the movies that I want to do. And I'd rather fail doing a story that I had created, that it was my story, and fail because I made the wrong decisions, that fail because I wasn't able to do what I wanted because, you know, it was a lot of money and the studio was playing a different direction, which happens all the time. And, and look, I've seen too many times lately young directors get taken by Hollywood and given a big movie that seems like a blessing, that, oh, my God, they're getting this huge movie out of this small movie they've made. And suddenly those guys get, you know, chewed up and spit out. And the way I see it, I just try to make enough movies in order to, by the time I, I get to make a bigger movie at the studio, to have, to have a body of work and a gravitas in that room when you're making this film by committee, that that people will hear you and you will be able to, it's not it's not about having full creative control. It's about being able to, to get your point across and get your vision across. And whatever you imagine the movie is going to be when you read the strip, it's going to resemble the movie that people see if someday I have five kids in college, maybe I have to make one of those movies for them, as you call them, you know, like, and everybody calls it that way, like one for me, one for them. I never signed up in the, I never bought a house, I never got into those big problems that a lot of directors get in Hollywood. So suddenly they have big debts and they have to make movies that they don't want to do, but they have to do them in order to make to get paid. And uh, I really try to keep things simple. So I have creative control and creative freedom. Directors are really interesting people. They watch hundreds and hundreds of films, therefore shaping and influencing their filmmaking style. Alvarez told me of this one film, which I never looked at as a scary movie. But now that I'm thinking about it... Back to the Future is my favorite movie ever, if that tells you anything. But, uh, but then, you know, and, and that, that, though, though it's a little bit of a comedy and action and adventure, that movie is very scary as well. Like, it has some thrills and very, it goes to very right. dark places, and even in the second one. So, you know, I'm a child from the 80s, so whatever is the tone and style that capture the biggest cinema that Hollywood was making in the 80s, that probably encloses my, my taste. You can watch Feather's new horror thriller, Don't Breathe, in theaters right now. When you take the stage at the VMAs, you step into another world. Because it's not just a performance. It's a statement. We're almost at the end of the show, and I'd be remiss if I didn't chat with Jim Shearer, a music brainiac, about this weekend's MTV VMAs. Jim, thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. We've, we've done a podcast before. We've done a podca podcast before, but you've never been on my podcast. Because I just started it, so... I know. Obviously, you haven't. I know. Let's talk about... Before we talk about the VMAs, which is the reason that uh, you've been so nice enough to come here and talk, uh, you're a former VH1 Top 20 Countdown. You know you worked at MTV2, so you know the MTV DNA very well. Uh, I want to talk to you about... I was just checking out your Instagram, man. This weekend, you were what, like... 
performing. I, I, I did not know that you were a yeah. performer, a musical performer. You didn't you see me perform on no, Big man, Morning Bus Live? No, man, but I thought Live? that was a one-off thing. That there was like a last-minute. So well, I've so, but, but, no, yeah, I've been in and out of bands see, since but I didn't 1992. Know that. I had no idea because what the way it happened is I remember we were at VH1 Big Morning Buzz. And there was a band that couldn't mm-hmm. make it on time or something. So in order to save the show, they called mm-hmm. Superman, Jim Shearer. You came <laughs> in with your cape and you did a last minute performance uh, of Zamboni Man. And do it, and you rocked the house. <laughs> and I think everybody was j- with their jaw dropped on the floor because, like me, there was a lot of people that had no idea that you... That you were that you performed. I, I think I would have been a national act if I wasn't tone deaf. <laughs> like I'm, I'm a great performer, but I can't carry oh, man, a tune. So that only goes guys, so far in the punk world. If you can go to Jim Shearer's Instagram account and see this man perform, he rocks the house. And I think it's something you should you should pursue. Yeah. So at MCA. Yeah, well, at MCA Day, every year they have an event in Brooklyn to honor the late, great Adam Yauch of the Beastie Boys. So this year we formed a super group. I was the, 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 the de facto front man. Lyle Presler from the legendary punk rock band Minor Threat was on guitar. We had Jeremy Shatton from the Young Aborigines on bass, the group that predated the Beastie Boys. We had Nico. You know Nico from VH1. Wow. He was on drums. DJ DP1 LeJune. and then Lejeune. She I had also no idea Lejeune performed yeah. that either. But listen, I, I, I want to rip into the, the VMAs. No, 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 no. That's but, why but before we go on, to right? the VMAs, be, <laughs> but before we go to the VMAs, I want to talk about your right. podcast. Tell us a little bit about your podcast and how people can tune in and what it's about. Wow, that's very nice of you, Jack. Yeah, uh, me and Lyle Presler from the legendary punk rock group Minor Threat have a weekly podcast called uh, The Week in Music with Lyle and Jim, and you can listen to it on yinslove.podbean.com And what is it about? Or you could it's just a we recap the week in music. Oh, that's awesome. But remember had speaking of MTV, remember they used to have the the week in rock? Yeah. Well, this is the podcast version of that. So we'll go through the music headlines of the week and break it down like they would on talk radio, except talk radio rarely talks about music. Sadly, I know. I you know what? It, which brings us to the VMAs. You know, uh, uh, Jim is the VMAs relevant today? No, it's dead. It's done. So why are they still it's doing done, this? Jack. Why are they still doing this? That's it. Well, it's it's their it's it's all they got left. So and they're just they're running off fumes. They're they're running off the legacy that they built throughout the eighties and nineties. So here's what doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, so they have the VMAs, but if you look at the channel's DNA now in 2016. It's teen moms. It's like... Well, you yeah. I mean, you could have said that 10 years ago. Right. And so I think that this award show and any of the award shows they do no longer fit into the culture of the brand of MTV right now. And so it's so off-brand now that seriously... First of all, I don't watch MTV anymore. It's just... It, it no longer speaks to me or to my generation anymore. No. Yeah. Exactly. And now you're bringing back Britney Spears. So, so here's who's performing at the VMAs this year, which is, by the way, this Sunday, August 28th. Britney Spears is performing along with Rihanna. Uh, Nick Jonas is going to be there and Future, the rapper, who's like the hot new rapper of the moment. Britney Spears, supposedly, word on her album, Glory, is that it's the real deal and that her performance will be very different than anything she's ever done. Rihanna's doing a career-spanning medley 
uh, while she accepted the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award, which is very similar to what Justin Timberlake did with NSYNC, kind of bringing back all those songs together in one single performance, which is like 17 minutes long. Well, can I give you an ambiguous tidbit? Yeah. And I, I don't want to spill the beans. This is the one cool thing happening at the VMAs. Uh, Rihanna, when she does her medley, will do it unlike anybody else. And I'll leave it at oh, that. Oh, you can't do that. I have to, Jack, I can't, because it, it was told to me in confidence. Oh, wait a minute. So you have some inside information on what she's going to do, do, but you can't tell me. Right. So the format in which she performs her medley is going to be a little different than anything anyone else has done hmm. before. So that that is what excites me about this VMAs. But it's funny, you said, performing at the VMAs, Britney Spears, Future, Nick Jonas, and Rihanna. And that's it. That's it. The freaking show's on Sunday. There's only four performances and announced. I was, Back in the day, we'd have the whole, ten performances. I was for searching through Google. I was searching through the... That's it. There's nothing. Go- There's no buzz about this show. There's nothing now, going on. Jack, you you're always in and around New York City. Have you seen the posters for this year's VMAs? No. It's black and white. It's a picture of the Moon Man. It says VMAs August whatever. Oh, that's right. What's, what's that's the date right. of the Sunday? That's right. it, it looks like any any art design student could have done that poster. So. Wait, it's August August 28th August, Sunday. Sunday is when the VMAs happen. Now, just to put things into perspective, I don't watch MTV as much as I used to. No one does, Jim, uh, I don't watch so VH1 don't as much that. as I used to. A few weeks ago, I was talking to someone, and they said, yeah, VMAs, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's starting to gear up. And I said, well, where are they happening? And they said, well, they're happening at Madison Square Garden. So I live in freaking New York City. I'm on the subway all the time, and I didn't know that the VMAs were taking place at Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena, the first time the VMAs are going to be at MSG. No one cares anymore. It's insane! It's insane! (laughs) You're in shock like I am. I I worked the VMAs before in New York City at Radio City Music Hall, and in June, in July... We were pumping up the VMAs. You you couldn't go in New York City without seeing posters, without knowing who was performing, when it was going to take place. You know what? I think I'm going to be watching HBO's The Night Of at that moment. <laughs> that grim, gloomy uh, show, which is the best show on TV, is probably going to be even more entertaining than this. Um, so I have an analogy as to why the VMAs aren't relevant anymore. Okay. So... Let's take the New York Yankees as an example. Throughout the year, they will cater to everybody. They'll have uh, choo-choo train day, where you can get a Yankees choo-choo train for your 10-year-old kid. Then they'll have bat day, where your 15-year-old kid can get a bat. And then they have old-timers day to cater to people like us, the the 40- and 50-year-olds who want to relive their childhood. But throughout the years... MTV hasn't catered to people like us. No, they haven't. We're the serious music fan. We remember the historic VMAs. So 10, 15 years ago, we said, well, we're done. And then the internet and social media came along, and the teenagers are like, well, why do I want to watch MTV? I can go on YouTube and watch whatever I want. So as the audience died off, there was no one there to replace us. 
So I'm sure there's some 20-year-olds who think this is going to be cool, but in five to 10 years, if that, MTV might be dead. But they're not playing any videos on the channel, and all these videos are being played on the internet, instead of having MTV do it, I think they should just literally license out the name of MTV VMAs and put it on Vivo, or put it on Pandora, or put it on Spotify, or one of these new it music platforms like Tidal... Uh, or even Apple Music should have their own award shows as opposed to having them on a channel that doesn't even play what they're selling. Right. I mean, they do at 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, come on. That doesn't even count. (laughs) (laughs) But there was something that cracked me up when I was looking at the nominations. Well, first of all, David Bowie is nominated for award, I think, in the direction category. No, I think it's like uh, MTV hasn't touched a day. Yeah, MTV hasn't touched a David Bowie video in years. There was another one where I looked and I'm like, come on now. Yeah, I had a chance to look at it. Well, oh, Kanye West Famous. Did they did they show Famous on MTV? Maybe they did, but probably I mean, at four in the morning. Yeah, too hot for TV <laughs> though. If you if you've ever seen, oh that yeah, video. it's it's these wax figures. It's nude nudity. So look, let's talk about the video of the year nominations. Beyonce okay. is up for Lemonade. Obviously, Adele for Hello, which has become a bit of a parody. Well, I'm going to correct you, Jack. She's up for forma- Formation. Okay, all right, all right, Formation. Off the, off the album Lemonade. Off of yeah, the yeah, album Sorry, Lemonade. that's just the VJ in right? me. Yeah, apologies. Uh, that's yeah. why you're here. Uh, Drake Drake <laughs> has Hotline Bling, which has become yeah. a bit of a parody as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Justin Bieber's Sorry, which yep. is a video that Justin Bieber is not even in. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then you have Kanye West's Not Safe for Work video, Famous. Who wins? Who wins? Well, see, I used to have this category down, Pat. I think I correctly predicted it three or four years ago. I have my, I have, I I I think I have my choice. I'm I'm dying to know what you think. Well, it's not necessarily about the video. It's about the moment they can make. Or the popularity of. Of the artist at that specific moment. Right. So Beyonce is nominated for 11, so there's a damn good chance she's going to be in the house on Sunday. So she could win. I don't see Bieber winning. Drake could win just because it was such a a big video. Kanye could win because it would be exciting, right, to have Kanye on at the end of the show. And Adele should win, but because Adele isn't performing, I don't know if she does. Right, right. So let's look at this. So Beyonce... The reason Beyonce will not win is because it's too predictable. Adele can't win because Hello is a power ballad that doesn't fit the 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 essence of what MTV is. Uh, right. Drake, Hotline, Hotline Bling, it, to me it's a bit of a parody, man. Uh, you know, and, and unfortunately I can't vote for something that everybody's making fun of. Justin Bieber okay. is not even in the video. Yeah. So well, that's not gonna th- win. So it's definitely not gonna win, and he's going through a bit of a of a decline, I guess, in terms of popularity, who he is, his brand, etc. So the only person that I can see win is Kanye West for famous because it's a controversial. B he doesn't necessarily get awards all the time. He's not a shoe in like a Taylor Swift who seems to be sweeping every award for every award show she's in. So I think mm-hmm. it's Kanye West's day on Sunday to win best video of the well, year. Well, what do you think? We we live in a world of moments where it's not necessarily about the 2-hour show, 
but the two-minute snippet that you can watch on repeat afterwards. That's so right. His speech at the end, that would be the two-minute snippet you would watch on Monday morning. Like when in- I, I think it's going to be, I mean, I think it's going to be Beyonce or Drake. Ooh. With the drama, does Kanye get up on the mic? Uh, I don't think it is going to be Adele. I think it could be Adele. I, I think Justin Bieber is the only one that I don't see. There's I don't think there's a chance for a sorry from Justin Bieber. So all right, so but, but just call it. Who's winning on Sunday? Video of the year. Mm, let's go Beyonce formation. All right, I'm going to go with Kanye West's famous. And watch it be hot light and bling. Oh my God! Drake. Could you imagine if it's <laughs> if it's Justin Bieber? Sorry. No, it can't, it can't be, be. right? It, it, it can't. It, it can't, can't be. be. It can't be. When we were growing up, it just felt like every best new artist was a. It was going to become a transcendental yeah. musician that there was going to go. last 10, That's 20, what I'm talking 30 about. years. We're still talking about Britney Spears. She's come back, and mm-hmm. she was literally made in the MTV era, just like Justin Timberlake was. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nick Lachey in 98 Degrees, they're, to- still, to- they're still touring. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that these people have managed to, to, to stay relevant with the fans. And I don't know if this generation, at least this VMA roster of videos that we're voting for, uh, is enough... For me to tune in, I don't know if it's enough for me to listen to on any stream. And I don't necessarily know if none of this music connects with someone like me. I think it's, we live in the day and age where it's all about views and numbers and like. But if that's the case, Jim, then why is Britney Spears performing? She's a 90s act being pitched to a 12-year-old demographic. She's still, but she's still a social media sensation. isn't she Britney isn't. Spears? Britney Spears is the Madonna. See, for but the I millennials. disagree with that. I think she was the the Madonna of the millennials of really? the '90s. But if you're 12, 15, 17 right now, look, Britney Spears has become more of an artist for uh, the gay community in my mind. Where you know there, there's the, like Cher, Madonna. I think Britney Spears is now a part of that category mm-hmm. where it's very dance, electronica. It's Vegas, you know. Uh, there, there's many artists that sort of fit that demographic. I don't know if she's the representative of the millennial crowd nowadays. So it, it's in direct contrast. But how do you think they view I, her? You know what? Don't you think they view her as a pop icon? Yeah. Like the teenagers in the 90s Yeah, but viewed you know Madonna? what? They give her the, uh, the, the Vanguard Award or the Michael Jackson Award for... Hey, listen, this is your Lifetime Achievement Award, but th- th- she's coming out with a new album. By the way, I hear Glory is the real deal album. But for a 15-year-old? I, man, I don't know. I just can't wrap my head around that at all. You know, sadly, Jack, I haven't missed a VMA since 1990. What was your favorite? It was the one with Nirvana. So I think that was either 91 wow, or 92. Wow, has it been that long that you've liked the VMA? Uh, no, that was my favorite. I liked the 94 VMAs, 95 VMAs. I liked, I remember enjoying the 99 VMA. I think that was the first one with oh, Chris Rock. Oh, I remember that. And then after that, yeah, after that, my, uh, my excitement Well, I liked last year's with Justin Timberlake bringing back NSYNC together. I think, I think none of these shows, by the way, actually, now that I'm talking, is there a host for this VMA? <laughs> no. That's another thing. We would know the host. Supposedly, at this point I read in time. an article that Drake might be the host because he's touring with Future. 
And so they just said, look, let's just bring in Drake. But I go, it just sounds so desperate of them to last minute announce a host when the host should be promoting the VMAs everywhere. I feel like none of the outlets are that interested. It's New York and New York doesn't even. I remember those years where it used to be at Radio City Musical. You couldn't walk down the street. There was traffic jams. Everybody was talking about it. That's what I'm saying. But three weeks ago, I didn't even know it was happening at MSG. Oh, my God. And I still don't know the host. And there's only four performances. Look, MTV has a lot of work to do, man, to get that brand back in order. And honestly, I don't even know if it has. Well, you know what their problem is? Whenever something sprouts up like Snapchat or Twitter or Pitchfork, MTV says, oh, we, we, we want to be like Pitchfork or we, we, we want to be it's, like Snapchat. It's, and I say too it's late. Desperate. It's too late because there is a Snapchat it's and there desperate. is a Pitchfork. It's desperate. Do right, it, which is music do. videos, but yes. it doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work. So they're launching this new MTV Classic channel. Uh, it's being mm-hmm. replaced. Uh, it's replacing VH1 Classic. So now it's going to be the MTV Classic. They should do the show mm-hmm. through there at least. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had some conversations where we were saying, well, we're the generation that appreciates the VMAs. So throw an MTV Classic VMA. Oh, there you go. You and I should go into Viacom, sit down with the MTV management and say, look, hand us. Oh, they wouldn't. Jack, they wouldn't (laughs) listen to us. They wouldn't listen to us. They They have some metric as to how this year's VMAs is going to be spectacular. And they'll tell, well, listen, we didn't put the host on the poster or the performances. There's a reason we do this. We ramp it up three days before. So they wouldn't listen to a word we said. Well, Jim, listen, man, thank you so much for being on the show. This was an interesting (laughs) conversation about a brand that's becoming a dinosaur before our very eyes. And we don't even know if it has, sadly, and and an award show that we used to, that it used to set the, the, the tone and the conversation for the rest of pop culture in our country. Yes, and unfortunately, it's it's fizzled out to the point where it's shameful that, that, that they're even having this award show. They should just give it its 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 like peaceful death. Move on to a different award show. Create a new show for a new generation. Um, I mean, album releases were geared upon the VMAs. It was the start of the fall right. music season. That is right. It was. It was. It was it the was Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. For the kids, man, the, the VMAs After were the huge. Grammys, this was the this was the young generation's but Grammys. But it was, it was cooler no, 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 than the I'm Grammys. Saying. It was more dangerous than the I'm Grammys. Saying. It, it, it yeah. was the award show for the I youth mean, movement yeah. in America and in the world. This could be Jack. This could be a, a four week conversation. Stop me, man. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just. I'm just hanging up you the phone right now. You can catch Jim Shear on his podcast. Uh, you can also reach uh, Jim if you want to give him a shout out on Twitter at Jim Shearer and also on Instagram at Jim Shearer. Thanks so much, Jim, for being on the podcast, buddy. Uh, let's let's grab a, a beer and watch some soccer next time around. Yeah, I'll see you, Jack. That's it for this third episode of Highly Relevant. I want to thank Fede Alvarez and my good friends Angie Romero and Jim Shearer for being on the show this week. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions on how I can improve the show, please email me at highly relevant at showbizcafe.com that's highly relevant at showbizcafe.com also if you like the podcast share it share it with your friends and please subscribe rate it and leave a review 
We're also now on Stitcher and SoundCloud too. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.